Are you ready to take your leadership and your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate, evolve, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world. And you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders and their organizations to identify the trends that will most likely disrupt their businesses and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also an adjunct faculty member at universities in the U.S. and Germany. Our guest today, very exciting, is Sun Yu, an international speaker and best-selling author on innovation and design, who's been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, and Entrepreneur. He regularly consults business leaders on developing meaningful, iconic signature elements, signature moments, and signature communication. He's the author of The Iconic Advantage, Don't Chase the New, Innovate the Old. So about this series, I want the Voice America series to provide valuable information to leaders and emerging leaders that will prepare them to lead their organizations in the current dynamic times that we're facing. For most of us, things are changing more quickly than we can keep up with, and I hope that the brilliant guests are able to share their insight in a way that you can put into action immediately in your work, either by taking different actions or shifting your mindset. So my request of everyone is, at the end of the show, think about one or two things that you can put into action or that can shape your thinking and update it so that you can can stay current. So for this conversation, Iconic franchises tend to be significantly more productive than standard ones. They're also far more resilient in the face of marketing market fluctuations. But you can't create an iconic property overnight. Iconic advantage is a component effect that you earn after a period of deliberate and sustained commitment. The effect is stronger over time. So the only way to start is to choose to become iconic. An iconic advantage strategy is for companies that want to establish market leadership by becoming the standard bearer in the market. And that's what we're going to talk about today is becoming iconic and sustaining it. So soon you thank you so much for joining us. Oh, no, thank you for having me. And I love your intro and your call to action to your listeners. And I think that's absolutely right that, you know, if they're going to spend some time learning that uh, part of the learning only happens if they actually put it into practice. And so I'm hoping that um, through our conversation, we'll be able to give them some actual tips that uh, can be put into action very quickly and easily. And so um, look forward to that. Thank you so much. So let's jump right in and start with what is iconic advantage and why should an organization pursue that strategy? 
Sure. Um, iconic advantage is simply put a strategy. It is a strategy that's focused on helping organizations build what I call iconicity. And the, you know, very simple in definition of iconicity, and you said it in your intro, is when you've had enough, I think, uh, to your point, longevity uh, around something that's distinctively yours, that's highly relevant to your audience, to the point where you actually become the standard bearer for that distinctive relevance and achieve iconic status relative to that distinctive relevance. And the strategy really outlines key principles and tactics that, um, like you mentioned, are very deliberate, that people actually um, practice, they follow, and uh, they apply consistently over time in order to reach iconic status. And so it is very much a business strategy that is focused on creating that type of sustainable competitive advantage. Um, and, and it is, uh, to your point, deliberate. So, so being the CEO of our firm, I get how much effort and thought power goes into our strategy and how much time. So what's the business case to executives who are already stretched for focusing on an iconic advantage strategy? Sure. I mean, it's a great question. There's so many different uh, people talking about different strategies, different approaches, and uh, the reason you would follow an iconic advantage strategy is, number one, um, you are choosing to follow a differentiation strategy versus a cost leadership strategy. And iconic advantage really uh, works well for those people that uh, want to stand out on a differentiation basis. And, you know, Michael Porter talks about those two generic strategies and how most companies tend to pursue one versus the other. So if you're focused on developing differentiation, then the, the benefit of uh, reaching iconic status with your differentiation is in our research, we looked at over 50 companies, the profit level and the margins tend to be anywhere from 3x to literally 100 to 1,000 times more profitable than the rest of the parts of the business. And that's because iconic status, uh, once you've reached it, um, it, it allows you to be able to uh, cut through all the noise um, because people are, one, familiar with you, two, they trust you, three, they already have um, a relationship with the brand and with you, and uh, you're the first, you're the prototype that comes to mind when they think about whatever category that might be, and therefore that gives you an incredible leg up. Uh, on top of that, we find that most iconic franchises um, have a disproportionate amount of demand, goodwill pent-up demand. And so people will generally even queue up in order to, um, you know, participate and purchase into an iconic franchise versus a non-iconic franchise. Um, And that's because iconic franchises have a really unique type of differentiation. It's a type of differentiation that goes way beyond what we sort of see with our eyes or what we think with our heads or, you know, even what we feel in our hearts. It's a much higher place to actually what we believe about ourselves, about the products, and about what it communicates about us when we use those type of iconic products. Um, You feel very differently when you are driving a Vespa or driving a Harley Davidson, and they both have different opportunities to connote different things about the brand, about what you believe about yourself, and what you're communicating about yourself to other people when you use um, iconic products. Um, And so 
that's why you do it. It's just a lot more profitable. Another reason um, you really focus on developing Iconic Advantage, Iconic Advantage is all about um, taking a lot of your new innovation ideas, your, your what I call your shiny new ideas, but applying it against your existing iconic franchises. And, and why you do that is because you are actually innovating against your existing strengths. And that's what most of these great companies do deliberately is that they double down on innovating um, where they're already strong, where they already have customers and consumers who love them and are willing to put them in their distribution channels, where they already have built up know-how and expertise and capabilities to both manufacture and to deliver uh, the goods and services that are iconic. And so Iconic Advantage is profitable both from a consumer perspective in terms of generating demand and and also demanding uh, higher margins, but it's also super profitable in terms that you're leveraging existing assets and capabilities that have already been proven and set in place um, through the years. So it seems like on the surface, all of us would want to do this, but it requires different actions. So let's shift to slightly who are, you mentioned Harley Davidson, what are some other examples? And can you give us a, a for a, pick one of them, uh, specific examples about the actions they've taken to leverage both their reputation with their customers and their existing product base? Sure, sure, sure. So couple things I want to state before we kind of jump into an example of somebody who's done it and then also walk you through the principles through that example is I just want to say up front that, you know, I'm, I'm sure your listeners are probably coming from a wide range of industries and also probably from a diversity in terms of scope and scale of the size of business. And a lot of folks, when we begin the topic on this idea of building iconic advantage, think, oh, this is only for the Cokes or the Pepsis of the world or the Apples or, you know, people that are global, people that are for Fortune 500. And yes, of course, the principles apply at that scale and at that level. But they also apply to a pizza parlor in uh, San Francisco that was, you know, one specifically Goat Hill Pizza that wanted to be iconic just in San Francisco. And the the principles that I'm going to describe in my example apply to a pizza parlor in San Francisco uh, as much as they apply to uh, Coke or to, to Apple or to some of these large organizations. And they also apply whether you're in a service business with only five clients or, you know, you're a, a service business like Uber trying to service um, millions and millions of people. So I just wanted to first set, let your listeners know that the principles we're describing are agnostic of both sides size and the type of business you're in. So having stated that, um, there are really three principles that you focus in on to build um, lasting iconic advantage. And I guess the first thing you want to understand is actually what makes something or product or service or, or a brand iconic. And if you understand those three things, then what might we do together to sort of uh, supercharge those three elements? And when we looked at over 50 companies, we found a pattern uh, that these companies shared in terms of actually what makes them iconic. Uh, the first quality we found in most iconic franchises is that they are distinctive. There is something about them that is distinctive, something that is memorable, something that is unique unique and differentiated. So there's something distinctive. The second element is whatever they are distinctive for 
it's highly relevant to the audience they want to become iconic to. So this idea of relevance for that distinction is critically important. And the catch here is this. It's not just relevant today, and it wasn't just relevant yesterday. It is relevant tomorrow. And so it's this idea of being able to create timeless relevance for that distinction. That's a critical component to become iconic. And so if you think about this idea of timeless relevance, you know, how do you create that? Well, that's required in order to have that longevity that we talked about earlier. Then lastly, once you have distinction and you have relevance for that distinction, the goal is to make sure you get universal recognition with the audience that you want to become iconic to. And so recognition is sort of the third element. And if over time, you are recognized for your distinctive relevance and achieve longevity with that, you eventually become the standard bearer. So knowing that those are the three qualities, distinction, relevance, and recognition, what can we do about that? So there's three things we talk about in the book. Um, You want to really improve your noticing power, your staying power, and your scaling power. And on the noticing power part, what you're really focused in on is um, creating things that people remember you for and that those things that they remember you for uh, are surrounded uh, and remind people of your key points of difference. So um, those are oftentimes what I would call signature elements that people know you for. It could be everything from a product feature. Let's take Nike, the Air Max. People, when they see the air bubble on the soles, they know that that is a signature element that is specifically related to the Air Max. But it's also very much related to their key point of difference, which is uh, performance and buoyancy in terms of um, support. Um, A second might be uh, another example could be style or color. Um, If I said the classic Burberry checkered pattern, you'd probably know that and recognize that. And Maureen, if I said to you. Um, high heel shoes with red bottoms, um, which brand might come to mind for you? You know, you've caught me at being not as fashionable as I'd like. So I'm not, I'm <laughs> okay, so just so you know, in the future, the brand is uh, Christian Louboutin. And they're famous for their high heel shoes with bright red bottoms on them. And so that would be one of their signatures. But let's take another one. Let's take Silhouette. Maybe this one will be a little bit easier. But Silhouette, you know, Coke has its famous Silhouette that it protects. And there's a very famous beer that actually uses the silhouette of a lime in the neck of this yellow beer, uh, and it's very famous for the silhouette of the lime in the neck of the beer. Do you know which brand that is? Hopefully, it's Corona. Yes. Woo. Okay. You got it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not failing the <laughs> trivia questions. <laughs> exactly. Great. So, you know, a silhouette could be another opportunity. But also, uh, you can create what I call signature experiences. Um, Apple's a good example of this. Most people don't even think about the unpackaging of their product. But if you ever bought an Apple product, you would know the way they treat their packaging is almost an unveiling of a treasure in a treasure chest. And in fact, I would say half the people I speak with that have purchased Apple products tend to keep those treasure chests um, and and never tend to throw them away, even though they don't use them for anything. They're just designed so beautifully that it feels like a shame to throw away your Apple packaging. Really? 
Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And, and so there's multiple ways of what I call creating signature elements, everything from signature points of view. You could even have signature spokespeople, all that. and um, Or signature sensory. Like if you ever go into a Starwood hotel or go to a Sheraton or one of the Westons, when you walk in, it actually has a signature smell. And that smell carries into the bathroom with the toiletries that they give you. And that's one of their signatures. And so uh, this idea of So sign- that would be... Could that be law and order and the oral signature? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, signature uh, notes, uh, signature tunes. I used to work for a very important brand uh, that was just bananas. How do you how do you make a banana iconic? Well, Chiquita had their uh, very famous uh, Chiquita jingle, you know, Chiquita banana. And then they also mm-hmm. had um, the little... Uh, a Chiquita sticker that was on uh, the banana. And those two things were their signature elements. And that's how you took a commodity item and actually made it iconic. So this idea of creating signatures is critically important. And then the second element is, um, you know, this idea, how do we create longevity? How do we actually create uh, st- uh, what I call staying power? That's the next one. It's actually how do you create timeless relevance? And I'll just walk you through one. To you? Let's go on break and come back and talk about staying power. Let's do that. Thank you. Perfect. We'll be right back. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. 
out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You are joining Soon Yu and Maureen Metcalf, and we're talking about Iconic Advantage. So before our break, you talked about um, creating noticing power. Now we're moving into the second one, staying power. So let's, what is staying power? There, in my mind, there's a little bit of what's obvious, but you're going to tell us about your research and in much more depth than most of us will assume. Yes. Well, th- thank you, Maureen. And uh, yes, yeah, so the goal on staying power is to create timeless relevance. And that's how you stick around is that if you, you know, you, you've got relevance that uh, was important uh, back then, but also important today. But more importantly, how do you make sure that relevance is uh, something that uh, in the future really is critical and, and, and something that people embrace? So, um one of the things you asked about, Maureen, is this idea of finding a, an example that people sort of can wrap their heads around. So we talked in the previous segment about one of our favorite shoe manufacturers. And if I said to you, an air pocket in the sole of the shoe of a, of a trainer, which brand would you naturally think of? <laughs> now that you've told me who it is, uh, Nike. <laughs> yes, it is Nike. Absolutely. So let's kind of go back and think about the Nike Air Max. They just celebrated their 31st anniversary um, a couple of weeks ago, actually. And so how in the world has the Air Max with that little air pocket been able to stick around for 31 years? And that, that to me, is good longevity, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I was wearing those when I ran track in high school, probably. Or shortly after that. Was that oh was that three years ago? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was probably when they were first released. (laughs) Well, sometimes I talk about this story with the audience and they know the shoe obviously, but none of them can relate to when it actually came out. So you and I can actually relate to 31 years ago when it actually hit the marketplace. So, um, and actually it has even an older history than the 31 years. And that's because back in the 60s, this amazing NASA engineer um, was charged with, his name was um, M. Frank Rudy, and he was charged with protecting astronauts' head from head trauma. And he had certain constraints as an innovator and engineer. He couldn't, he didn't want to add a lot more bulk or heft to a spacesuit that was already fairly, you know, um, heavy and, and hard to move around in. And so he came up with the idea of putting air pockets in the helmets to protect the head from trauma. And it worked extremely well. And he thought to himself, hmm, where might this technology be applied elsewhere in terms of, you know, call it uh, performance and in terms of human performance? And he thought about, oh, what would happen if we put it into the soles of the shoes? So he shopped around to a bunch of uh, manufacturers, including some of the ones I had worked with in the past, and everybody said no to him. 
except for, of course, Nike. And Nike took on the technology, and they actually came out with their first iteration of it. It was called the Tailwind. Unfortunately, the problem was they embedded that technology in a way that you couldn't see it. So there was no noticing power. And the only way you knew that there was Ah. Yeah. And we talked about this idea of noticing power. It had none. And the only way you could um, actually know that it had uh, any type of special feature in it was through the hang tag or through the POS. And for most folks, Marine, that just felt really gimmicky. And so what happened is uh, it went back into, that was like in the 70s, it went back into the so-called drawing board and, and went back to the kitchen. And the folks in the kitchen really smart. They brought in some designers. And this is a great way to work with designers. And they told these designers, look, We've got this amazing feature that delivers this amazing benefit. Can you, one, make it immediately and visibly obvious? And then two, designers love hearing this, can you make it sexy? (laughs) Can you make it look (laughs) nice? (laughs) And so uh, you and I both know um, back in 1987, they introduced the very first Air Max. And in fact, not only did they put it on the shelf with the Air Pocket, they actually put lights uh, uh, ben, uh, behind the shoe so that uh, it looked like the air pocket was sort of emanating light rays. Uh, Maureen, do you remember when that first came out? Vaguely the light rays. My my goal wasn't as much cool as being able to run long distance. So the air pocket really mattered. And long light. Distance. Yes, long distance really does matter for the air pocket. And you nailed it. It's It's this idea that most trainers lose about 40% of their support in their lifetime, but a pocket of air would never lose its bounce. And that's what Nike was building on, and that's why they wanted to show the air pocket. So going back to this concept of, you know, how do you stick around? How do you create lasting relevance with this, uh, this Air Max? And so they did four things that um, – You don't have to do all four of them, but if you do a mixture of them, it will help you stick around. And the key idea is you need to marry what's great about the old and protect that and infuse it with things that are happening that are new and that are exciting and that are fresh. And it's the balance of uh, being able to marry what's, what's familiar about the old with what's exciting about the new that actually keeps and creates staying power. So first and foremost... What they did is in every single iteration for these last 31 years, they have had the air pocket feature. It is distinctive. You've never missed it. There's never been an iteration where you don't see the air pocket. And that's because they've protected that signature element. On top of that, of course, they've had the swoosh, which is really a brand level signature element. And then the air pocket is really a product level um, signature element. And for the Nike Air Max over 31 years, they've never violated those principles of protecting your signature elements. So that's number one. And that's protecting what's old and, and familiar about the old. The second thing they did, though, is uh, actually the next three things they did it was really infuse energy, excitement, and freshness with these protected signature elements. Uh, one of the first things they did is they continued to evolve the story of the franchise. And through uh, introductions of, um, obviously, if you remember, one of their very first celebrity endorsements was um, uh, everybody wanted to be like Mike, right? Um, uh, Air Jordan, okay? Um, but they also extended it into other 
categories into tennis, uh, you know, Andre Agassi, into golf with Tiger Woods, and and they continue to evolve the story and where the franchise was going and how this technology was evolving and changing and and being um, enhanced uh, and and extended. So that was the second thing they did. The third thing they did was um, they continued to innovate the benefit. Remember in the beginning you mentioned this idea of don't just chase the new, innovate the old. Well, they continued to innovate that air pocket. They went from obviously the back heel and they went uh, pockets in the back and also in the front of the toe area. Then eventually they covered the entire shoe. Then they created these new air, uh, power power pockets that uh, were these little power balls that went across the shoe. And then, in fact, they did an entire strip around the entire shoe with these power balls. And so they kept that technology fresh every single year. And if you recall uh, back when Nike introduced the Air Max, there was another brand. Remember Reebok? I probably wore those too. <laughs> well, remember back uh, back in the days, Reebok had an air technology, and you actually had to pump the tongue. Do you remember? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So they had the pump. Well, the problem with the pump is always a generation or two behind the Nike one, and so every time you know a Reebok would do something, Nike had already done something two years ahead of it, and so it, it was a hard haul for Reebok to catch up, and that's part of like innovating your key benefits. So that was the the third thing they did, and the fourth thing they did is, if you look at from 30 years ago to today, the design. The style, the colors, the the different fabrics that they used um, changed and fit really the fashion trends and the zeitgeist of the era that they were in. So what they did is, one, protect the signature elements. But then they did three things beyond protecting the signature elements. They infused new story, and new innovation, and new design with those signature elements. And that's how they were able to create lasting staying power. And those same principles apply to a pizza franchise, to what you do today in in your uh, talk show. All that's really critical. What makes you guys well known and how are you infusing newness on top of what you're protecting for what you're known? I love the idea that we can build on what worked and also innovate um, in small increments or large increments, but not throw out the foundation of our work every time we need to move forward. You nailed it. We have some. We have a quote in the book that says, "You know, don't throw out the proverbial baby with the bathwater." You know, the baby's pretty important, and then add some new bathwater into it. And that's exactly what we're talking about. So then, what is the third one? third one is about how do you create great recognition and so when I work with a lot of different groups everything from fortune 500s to small startups um, it's so funny when I talk about these three powers I usually sit down with the teams and I ask all of them to write down what are the five or ten things that are on your work plan this year you know five or ten initiatives things that you need to deliver that's going to help you get the bonus or at least help you meet your goals and then what I ask people to do is I take those three powers of noticing power, staying power, and scaling power, and I ask people to put those uh, post-its for each one of their initiatives around those three things. And over 80% of what people work on is on scaling power. And so the problem with just working on scaling power is what are you scaling? If you aren't scaling what your distinct 
distinctive and relevant for, then you're probably scaling the wrong thing. And so I think there needs to be one, a better balance to make sure that you are focusing on creating great distinction that's highly relevant because then it makes your scaling so much easier. Um, I always talk to startups that are often in, you know, especially in these new venture back startups, they're often in what I call three to four horse races where they're either trying to outscale somebody in terms of getting bigger or get or outspeed them in terms of trying to get to market faster or lastly they usually try to out technology them meaning that oh my my mips are bigger than your mips or you know my ram is bigger than your ram or some type of kpi that no consumer understands but they're you know that's that's how they pound their chest and i always argue to them i said look guys it isn't the biggest, nor the baddest, nor the fastest mousetrap that gets the mice. It's the one with the stinkiest cheese. And so that's what hmm. great noticing power and staying power are all about is how do you create really stinky cheese? Um, so but back to your question, Martin. Like, okay, what, what do you do about scaling power? Assume. And so the last minute was really trying to uh, throw a warning at the folks that just, ju- don't just jump into this idea of scaling. Make sure you know what you're scaling and try to scale stinky cheese, okay? So assume you have really stinky cheese. Then there's only three simple ways to scale that stinky cheese. One is through marketing, which creates awareness for the stinky cheese. The other is through distribution so that you can make the stinky cheese as available as possible and and more and more people can participate and and, and actually literally become uh, mini advertisers for your stinky cheese, right? And then uh, lastly is really important one is once you know what your stinky cheese is, how do you make different varieties of the stinky cheese? How do you actually extend it into new products and then into new family franchises? And so those are the three ways. But the goal in all those ways, whether it be marketing, distribution, or new product extensions, is you're scaling what I call your iconic brand language, and the iconic brand language is focused on your signature elements that you're distinctive and well-known for and relevant for. Instead of just every two years coming up with a brand new marketing campaign, you know, I mean, you see that for the last, I don't know, you know, I don't know how many years Corona's been around, but it's always been about the yellow beer bottle with the lime in it, and they're always celebrating this idea of, you know, when you push the lime down the neck, that is a moment of going on vacation, a mini vacation, or it's sort of the vacation beer, and they've always celebrated that. Um, and, and so it's the idea of whatever you're scaling, scale your distinctiveness that you're known for. So you talked about this taking a long time to build, do you talk about how to create distinctiveness for, as you're working with startups as an example? Yes. Um, spend a lot of time. And the first question I really try to ask startups to answer is, what is your key point of difference? Because whatever what I call uh, distinctiveness we're going to build is got to be around celebrating and reminding people about what makes you unique, different, and special. And so um, that's sort of the first question we, we try to answer. And then once we know what your key signature, I'm sorry, what your uh, key point of difference is, then we try to create signature elements. Think of them as little symbolic reminders that when people see that, they, one, automatically think of you and the brand and the service, 
But two, they also are reminded about what makes you special. Again, you know, when you see that air pocket for Nike, it automatically reminds you that uh, they have a technology that is above and beyond what other people have. You have that air pocket that will never lose its bounce. And that is smack dab talking about their key point of difference, which is higher performance, higher buoyancy. Um, and, you know, you you fully understood that when you were doing your cross-country running. Perfect. So we're going to break here and uh, come back momentarily with Soon You and continue the conversation about how do we create iconic advantage for established companies, but also for younger companies who are trying to step in and create an iconic brand. We'll be right back. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-294. 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN. are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. 
Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You're listening to Soon Yu talking about strategic or iconic advantage and iconic brands. So let's talk about people in tough categories. So, so we've talked about Nike and it makes sense for Nike, but what if I'm not in their category? What if I'm in one that is um, less differentiated? Sure. You know, and I, I've times talked to a lot of folks about this idea, you know, they're, they're in a categories that quite frankly, the consumer trends are against them, consumption's down, traffic's down. And so what do they do? Um, obviously, uh, following the principles will help them stay uh, better afloat versus, let's say, uh, their competitors and they'll gain share, but even their share gains sometimes aren't enough to overcome uh, the dramatic drop in consumption or traffic that they're seeing. And so what do they do in those situations, in those instances? Um, and this one's a tougher message because um, if you are the iconic brand in the category, it means you are the standard bearer for the category. And so it is kind of contingent on you to kind of innovate the category itself, because whatever you're doing, you're basically having to um, drive the category. And, and so just saying that, you know, I'm the market leader, but the category is dying. I mean, that that's not going to get you the big bonus, obviously, at the end of the year, but it's also not really challenging you to think about the idea that you are actually now tasked with not just innovating your brand. You need to actually be the one driving the innovation in the category. Now, I've seen companies do this and do this very well, but it's a very tough thing to actually set up within an organization. Um, companies who are facing this oftentimes set up what I call stealth or um, alternative parts of the organization whose sole purpose is actually to put the existing business out of business, to cannibalize the business that they are already in. Why? Because if they are the standard bearer within the uh, category, they generally own not only an iconic feature or signature element that they're known for, they probably own the iconic benefit that people really love about that category and that people really look to when they participate in that category. And it's contingent upon them to then continue to innovate around the benefit and and to the point where they'll put their existing businesses out of businesses in order to own the iconic category benefit. Um, you know, when you think about this idea, people – um, aren't reading newspapers anymore, so for the, therefore the newspaper industry is suffering and pretty much a, a, a dead animal. But that has never changed the fact that people still are consuming news. And the key benefit of newspapers was providing timely news and relevant news to people. And so a lot of these organizations have figured out a way of going from print to digital and actually going beyond that in terms of, you know, what's the next sort of frontier beyond um, digital in terms of how people might actually consume news or participate in news and engage in news. And I think that's very different versus just having it sort of uh, one to many. How is it one to one potentially? And so news organizations are starting to innovate against that and, and put potentially their current digital businesses out of business. Uh, a company that is 
I'm sorry, you're going to say something, Marie? Oh, yeah, thank you. So I'm on the board of trustees for an NPR or station, radio station that is public radio. Mm-hmm. And they have definitely moved to digital and, and exactly asking those questions. Will we cannibalize? What happens when people are already not using the NPR model? How do we fundraise? How do we run an organization when you can listen online and people are listening around the world. Exactly. And that's the most difficult part of being in a successful organization, oh, especially one where, let's face it, you are become a standard bearer for some part of it, is that you're going to have legacy. You have legacy that is well-deserved based on mm-hmm. huge success from the past and profits, based on a strong following. But it also means you're going to have legacy in terms of people that have certain skills that they're comfortable with, that they're good at, that they're paid well for, that they're respected for. You're going to have legacy in terms of people in the organization who just, quite frankly, are afraid of change. And and so all that is natural. You know, organizations are made up of people. But the best organizations in the world are set up in a way where they actually have parts of the organization that are protected that's main goal is to actually come up with new business model innovation that will own the category benefit, but put the existing business model out of business. And one of the best organizations that I've seen do this is actually Amazon. Um, you know, you and I know Amazon early on for, I think they were initially, what, books, a lot of availability of hard-to-find books, and of course, common books, and at low prices. And then they went from there to CDs and videos and a whole bunch of other things, and basically now anything under the sun. And most people would have said, oh, well, their whole business model has been built on the idea of low cost and availability. I would argue over the last 20 years, they have shifted that business model, and it's been much more focused on something either they lucked into it or they were intentional about, but it's been about the idea of one click. And early on, they somehow, genius, geniusly, were, were able to both trademark or patent the idea of one click. And that's basically, if you click that, that product is already shipping on its way to you, and you don't even have to go through the checkout, which is fantastic, right? Now, they've decided to innovate against this benefit of one click, and they took it to, I think one of the first iterations was taking one click physical. They actually created those dash buttons, if you remember, uh, where you could actually order your uh, bounty or your, your beer or whatever you know, with a physical button next to your refrigerator or next to your sofa, or if you wanted to order Tide, it'd be on your washing machine. So they did that. They also allowed you to instantaneously order, what, CDs and books and uh, videos. And that kind of put their hard book sales, um, it really hampered their hard book sales when they went straight to both the audio and to the downloadable versions. And and they didn't care about that. They continued to do that. And, and now you can one-click what groceries and, and can do organic groceries. But guess what? You don't even need the website anyway. They don't even care if you remember their website. Now you just say, Alexa, I want ABC, and it's it's already on its way to you. And and I guarantee you, by the time my son, who's eight right now, is uh, out of you know college, he won't even know Amazon, Amazon was ever a website. To him, it'll be this idea of instant gratification. Um, with IoT and predictive analytics and AI, 
Uh, and probably he's going to have a little, I don't know, chip implanted in his brain that, you know, before he even knows he wants a ice cold Coca-Cola, he's going to turn around and there's going to be a drone that's going to be, you know, at <laughs> his hand level, basically handing it to him. Okay. And if he doesn't want it, he can just send it back, you know, um, with no cost. And, 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 and it's, so there's this idea that at the end of the day, I think what Amazon's going to be best known for is owning the benefit of no patience required. And they're going to be willing to cannibalize every type of business and every type of business model they're in in order to own that benefit. I love the idea that, that we're now focusing on the benefit as noticing power. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. That's absolutely right. And, and so... If you, you know, like if you're you're working with the uh, NPR organization, very important. Like they obviously provide news, but they provide a news with a certain point of view. And so uh, if they can remember that that's their key benefit, that they have, they, one, they are a platform for a unique voice. And then what are the different ways in the future that you can continue to provide that unique voice in the platform for that and and can it and then therefore it can it be platform agnostic um but benefit benefit consistent platform agnostic that will be the long-term goal okay so i'm writing that down benefit consistent platform agnostic that's right it's a hard thing to achieve and and you know because people are you know organizations are made up of people to tell part of your organization or majority organization that there's part of your organization out there trying to put yourself out of business makes you feel insecure, right? It means that you're going to be disruptive. It means that, you know, my high paying salary is not justified anymore because a lot of that was based on um, knowledge of a platform, (laughs) right? Versus knowledge of purely about a benefit. And so it it is going to require, it, it it will lead to some disruption in the workplace. But it's going to lead to, I think those people was, you know, I think you probably had uh, guests on your show that's talked about the idea of fixed mindset versus growth mindset. I fundamentally believe the key to successful adaptation and long-term leadership is really having a growth mindset because um, there's just too many changes that are going to happen, whether you design those changes or, quite frankly, you are um, at the whim of those changes. So that bears repeating because I think it's foundational for leaders who want to thrive long term. They must have a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. And we have, to your point, done several interviews about talent development and and that field of focus and it's a key message. So can for people who don't necessarily know the term fixed mindset versus growth mindset. Can you give us the one minute on what that is and why you've seen it as most important? Sure. I mean, uh, fixed mindset, uh, for the most part, is focused on, um, I call it a reliability mindset, meaning that your goal is to take what you are really good at, what's proven, um, and do it even better at the next iteration, do it more effectively, do it more efficiently, and drive more value based on that set, um, both mindset, set model, set process. A growth mindset actually treats um, what you do, but more importantly, yourself as a work in process. I oftentimes uh, say the best way to have a growth mindset is to treat yourself 
as a prototype. And that means that part of what you're doing is taking uh, knowledge and skills that you have and creating great value from that. But part of it is also that you're curious about, um, you know, what's the impact of what you've done, um, what things, uh, what's the impact to the audiences that you are trying to have impact with, what are areas that you can change or improve, and it's having the ability to, um, you know, make adjustments uh, based on that feedback. But just as importantly, there are times when you're going to have to read the signals because that's one of the goals of having a growth mindset is always listening to signals, always curious about signals, and every once in a while realizing that you're going to have to make a pivot. And anytime you have to make a pivot, it's like going in for a major operation. It is something that you're probably going to dread. But, uh, you know, let's say you've had this ailing um, sports injury and you've decided to put off, you know, doing corrective surgery on it forever. But the finally, when you make up your mind to actually do it, it's painful. There's a huge recovery period. There's a lot of physical therapy that's required. But once you get through the valley of pain and of therapy, eventually you come out to a much better place. And I think that's a, that's the growth mindset is being willing to make the investment, being willing to go into uncertainty and being willing to, you know, put in that hard work in order to become better, but also realizing that you're going to be breaking down some of the things that you're really good at or some of the things that you, you're winning formulas, so to speak, and being willing to actually uh, not have those be your winning formulas anymore. Fabulous. Thank you. And, and that message seems so important that I am the prototype. So let's do a wrap up. Where would people learn more about Iconic Advantage and your other work? Sure. Um, if you're interested in obviously getting the book, it's on Amazon and Barnes and obviously in the stores um, and uh, encourage people to pick it up and take uh, what we talked about on the uh, call here uh, and really apply it to their businesses, big or small. And I, and I do – I fundamentally believe that um, not only is it going to help them be good at what they do, but I, you know, one of the reasons I, I think it's really important to build iconic advantage is this. We as consumers and as clients fall in love with brands and with people that run brands. And guess what? We don't, just like the people in our lives, we don't want to fall out of love with them. It's If there's a brand that I've grown up loving, let's say Porsche, I don't want them someday to make crappy cars and to, 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 to lose their signature elements and to you know not focus on being relevant to me, I would be sad. And I, I think it's true for all the brands that have become iconic, that have become iconic for us, in that we don't want to ever fall out of love with those brands, nor ever be on the fence on those brands. So I think it's really important that um, we as brand care our caretakers uh, be as smart as possible and learn as much as possible to make sure that that happens. So obviously get the book if you can, but, but, but you can also learn almost everything about it and, and, and that it's all free online. Just come visit our website, iconicadvantage.com. Thank you so much. And I'm going to spell your name S O O N space Y U. So soon. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And I do encourage people again, 
put this into practice. Think about your brands, noticing power, staying power, and scaling power. This is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We would love to hear your feedback. You can reach me on by email at info at metcalf-associates.com or online on Facebook, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. So we encourage you, again, to to think about what you're doing with your brand. How are you disrupting it? And also, how are you disrupting yourself as a leader? This show is called Innovative Leaders, and we really do encourage you to take on that growth mindset, to become your own prototype as a leader to ensure your success and the success of your organization. Thank you very much. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then. Drive and thrive and have a great week.